Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. I'm Caleb Giddings, and you're listening to the first official episode of the Firearms Industry News Podcast. Uh, We did do an episode last week, but I hadn't figured out the name for it yet. And if you'd like to follow the regular news updates that we do every Friday, where we update you with news and information from around the firearms industry, make sure to follow me on Facebook at Caleb Shooting. So for our first official episode of the podcast, last week we did an episode with Matt Little from Graybeard Actual, where we talked about performance-based shooting. This week, I wanted to bring on two more of my friends from the industry, John Hopman and Sarah Cade Hopman. Hello. Hi. So you guys are uh, John Runs Filster. Sarah, you're a political activist. Give us a little bit more information about your backgrounds. You go first. Oh, well. Uh, So I do a lot of state-level pro-firearms advocacy, um, just on a volunteer basis. So it's kind of been my my passion for the last eight years or so. So that was... very generic and because yeah. we all know you do a lot more than that <laughs> yeah it's mostly just um i can't i can't swear it's mostly just uh posting things on the internet at this point <laughs> from the basement Fair that's enough. all any of us can really do right now <laughs> uh <clears throat> i'm john john i'm the owner and operator of filster holsters where we make holsters and other everyday carry items um I'm also involved with Sarah here and there in the uh, Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, where we do some state-level activism and try to keep gun rights going on here. And together we host the Guns Guide to Liberals podcast, where we've just wrapped up our first uh, season with 12 episodes and a number of bonus episode interviews and whatnot, where we try to take the... So it's hard to talk about guns and it's hard to talk about guns with people who just don't agree with you. And a lot of being persuasive and a lot or not even persuasive, just being heard involves speaking the language of the person who you're trying to convince or, you know, uh, uh, communicate with. And so from our perspective, we're both uh, I'm kind of a a reluctant libertarian. In so, in, in so far as, you know, like, I think to myself, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there, you know, if we could accomplish all these great things with, you know, the government and a stable society. But then I look at what they do and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I really want to let them do all that. But, you know, I'm very sympathetic to a lot of liberal causes and positions. And so from the perspective of us being generally liberal minded gun owners while you know being very strong civil civil libertarians in a lot of ways we wanted to put together a podcast where we can help the people on our side of the aisle in terms of you know uh, firearms advocacy make a better and more convincing argument for the second amendment to people who are more liberal minded like what's getting lost in the conversation what doesn't translate well what things do we put on our bumper stickers that are unintelligible and ridiculous to the other side of the argument All of them right well i mean generally if it goes on a bumper sticker it's just nonsense like now so, i have about the, so about the podcast um uh, if you guys haven't heard it it's on for the people listening or watching this it's guns guide to liberals right yes uh, and you guys have the best audio quality of any firearms industry podcast out there i should point that out uh but i wanted to ask you guys now this is something that's come up when people have asked me about it you know mutual friends people from around the industry it is not a podcast that you tell your liberal friends to listen to no, it's specifically no, for no no no, 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 no firearms owners people like me who have liberal friends who are seeking a way to engage with them so that the conversation is meaningful right like instead of yes because the the most frustrating thing and i've been described as the world's worst republican on multiple occasions um or a kind of conservative democrat it really depends on where i live uh for me it's very frustrating to try to have conversations around firearms with reasonable people but all i have loaded into my brain are these nra talking points from 20 years in the gun industry and i don't know how to translate that into something that a normal person is going to understand and i really don't want to spend 45 minutes with somebody at a dinner table talking past each other and that that's very frustrating for me and so 
this is the kind of podcast that can benefit someone like me. Yes, the the podcast itself is not a red pill which you deliver to <laughs> someone who's a, a, on the other side of the the the, the gun issue. Damn. That will go extremely poorly, and it has gone extremely poorly because in our attempt to talk about how to improve your communication and how to decrease the defensive bias of the person you're talking to, someone who is on the other side of the 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 argument will listen to it and feel like you're trying to manipulate them mm-hmm. in an underhanded way. Right. So this is a, is a, it's a communications podcast. It's not really focused on particular arguments or, you know, it's not like a drag and drop thing that you just insert this meme into this Facebook group. And now you've just persuaded everybody there to like guns. Um, it's not really like that. This is for people to improve their existing relationships and to be able to talk about guns in ways that don't damage their relationships. Um, but it's not designed for a liberal audience. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't say that actually. It's not designed for an anti-gun audience. It is designed for a liberal audience because we've got a lot of, of liberal listeners. Um, and a lot of it isn't even necessarily about guns. So the majority, so we break this podcast down into two segments. One is Sarah's soft skills segment. And the other one is my bad argument of the day. And during Sarah's soft skills segment, uh, I she, love your uh, bad argument of the day segment, John, by the way, it thank has you. been, it's, and this is not, a, not an offense to Sarah, but, uh, whenever I hear those, it's always something that someone has said to me at some point, you know, whether, and always with the utmost sincerity too, like they really believe it. And I'm like, and there've been a lot of times when I've heard it and I've been like, that's dumb. And I know it's dumb, but I can't put my finger on why it's dumb. And now in a lot of these situations, I can be like, oh, no, this is, hang on, this is dumb and here's why. Right. Yeah. And that's why we kind of went with that format. So my soft skills segment takes actual skills and breaks them down into practical exercises so you can learn to recognize what you're dealing with. And it's applicable and- to everything, not even, it's, it's not specific to guns. So any position mm-hmm. that you want to take where you want to be more persuasive or um, be heard more clearly, you can refer to her segment. So what we start out with is teaching people how to identify and appeal to values. And then we take that and we build on it. So each each podcast episode is is like a progressive lesson. Uh, and the Don't way say it progressive, is, it's a bad word. It's trigger word. Oh, <laughs> hashtag triggered. <laughs> um, but the way it works is that you learn the skill from the soft skills and then you see the example in john's bad argument of the day and he does a really good job of breaking down the values divide and rebuilding those arguments in a way that appeals to more traditionally liberal values so it's kind of one-two punch right so it's bad arguments that we hear from both sides so you know uh we'll hear like why don't we regulate cars like guns well for some some reasons that are worth thinking about or um, we talk about the kind of language games that get played where, you know, uh, gun control becomes, uh, you know, gun safety or gun response, you know, wh- whatever, however they want to euphemize it and sort of chase the, the kick, the, you know, move the goalpost of language or on our side, you know, how shall not be infringed is not a, you know, a magical spell of convincing that you can just cast upon your uh, opponents and all of a sudden they too parrot the phrase shall not be infringed and while it seems like intuitive and obvious to us and we know what that means and we have a we can identify with the feelings of infringement and how infringed we are just saying shall not be infringed to someone who disagrees with you doesn't move the needle at all but you know how do we how do we communicate what's really underlying that that uh, that message, or how do we communicate the things that feel intuitively obvious to us, and we're sort of mystified as to why they fall flat for uh, people who disagree with us? And so we'll you know reformat some of these you know pretty tired arguments that you've heard a, a bunch of times that are you're, that, that you're sick of, and reframe them in a way where we can communicate the bedrock of that argument in a way that resonates with people who don't have the same experience that we do. 
one of the things that I appreciate about you guys and about the podcast, which I also have a confession, I haven't listened to all of it because it's not like uh, a lot oh, of look other... who's using their quarantine productively. Hey, I've got a lot going on right now. I have an infant. Okay, <laughs> um, but uh, unlike some of the other podcasts, like I'll put on a podcast and you know I'll walk the dog and listen to it, or just kind of have it on in the background, and I'll absorb you know, out of a two hour podcast, I'll absorb 15, 20 minutes of whatever from it. Your guys' podcast is very dense and I find myself having to actually pay attention to it. It's not, it's not one of those where I'm like, do to do. Or if I do do that, I'll be like, wait, shit, back, 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 back. <laughs> and I got to like back it up a whole bunch of times to figure out what I missed. So, uh, for people who are interested, and I say this very strongly for members of the firearms community who you have liberal friends, you have, you know, people that you engage with. And I want to stress this too. This is not going, the, your podcast is not something that I believe people should listen to to try to like score argumentative points, right? Like it's not for Facebook arguments. It's really for good faith interactions with people that you may know uh, and that you, you know, I don't necessarily know if care about is the right word, but it's definitely designed for a good faith interaction with someone. It's not a gotcha kind of thing. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, we're all about moving the needle on the Second Amendment by making gradual and incremental changes in our own circles. So that's kind of the the overarching goal of the podcast. Uh, and for you guys watching the video feed, my studio light just blew out right next to me. So now oh. half my face is shrouded in darkness, which is fun. But back it's very noir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this just like, changed from a comedy to a serious drama. So like, I, I, I don't want the podcast to sound intimidating. It's not like each episode is an hour and they're all incredibly dense. What we do is we deliver the dense 20 minutes that you actually retain in about 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah, so, one of my super pet peeves is when you're watching a video or a podcast and you're trying to learn a thing and you got us through like 20 minutes of rambling just to get to the relevant part. So from the beginning, we tried really hard to keep it organized, keep it on point and not to waste people's time. Can we cuss yet? Yes. Yeah. Oh, just okay. not like a yeah. lot. You know, don't, <laughs> you know, let's not turn this into a George Carlin thing. Um, one of the things. So <laughs> we call actually, it the aristocrats. <laughs> I love the aristocrats by the way that whole bit mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite comedy bits the documentary they did about it is phenomenal mm -hmm. uh, but to get back to the podcast and well not the podcast in general actually we're going to pivot a little bit one of the things one of the bits of feedback i have received about your podcast when recommending it to people is well i don't have any liberal friends and that's always been at least to me kind of the problem mm -hmm. you That's know sad. you know and and because if you think about like think about somebody who says well i don't have any liberal friends and then how do you know what they think yeah exactly and how then <clears throat> when you're getting in those facebook arguments are you going to be able to argue effectively because oh wait you're not because you don't know anybody like that which right. is kind of the point and i think it's and i think one of the greatest disservices we do in the firearms community is we there are so many people who discourage interaction across the aisle in any way shape or form like that's compromising you don't get to do that but you don't win if you don't compromise <laughs> like yeah and, and, you don't win if you don't advance your values you exactly know? and and we're as a whole pretty terrible at that right how do you convince liberal politicians if you don't have any liberal friends Exactly. How or, do you if make... you, or if you can't empathize with any of the positions, you could think that they're completely wrong about everything. And you could think that they're totally wrong in their approach and in their uh, practices and goals. And you could think they're wrong across the board in, in their implementation. But if you don't know why they think that, and if you don't know why they think that's a good idea, and all you're going to do is uh, assume the worst about them, you know, like, well, they think that because they're bad people. How, how are you going to, A, convince the politicians who are in power to see your point of view, or B, convince their constituents to vote for someone that agrees with you about anything? Well, you're not, is what's going to You're just going to dig your trench deeper. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think that is, that's interesting, too, when you get into that uh, that kind of 
isolationist mindset. And I've been fortunate enough to experience it on the other end for uh, a lot of people. I'm the only, and it's weird. I don't ever think of myself as a conservative, right? But because I like guns and because I am generally in favor of military interventionist foreign policy for a number of reasons, uh, that makes me a conservative. Regardless of all of any other policy issues I may hold, those two are such linchpin issues for a lot of people. That's what makes me a conservative. Never mind me being pro-choice or pro-single-payer health care or any of these other things. But as the person who frequently gets described as a conservative, I've had this interaction a lot where I'll be in a group of left-leaning people who aren't gun owners, and they'll say, well, you know, the NRA this or gun owners that. And then they'll look at me and go, well, but not you. You're different from those people. And I'm like, but I'm not. Like, there's a lot of those people who are like me. Like, yes, you have the Joe Exotics of the <laughs> gun-owning community. Have you, you guys have seen Tiger King, right? Of course. I, I have, don't you, know. have you seen our Tiger King shrine? I have not seen your Tiger no, King shrine. Sure. <laughs> 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 it didn't surprise me. But... You know, obviously, and well, and that's kind of the other pro- Tiger King sort of presents an interesting problem in and of itself when that. So let's uh, let me pivot to that. That's how currently we, the most high profile gun owner in the country. Exactly. And how do we, but you're not wrong. You're you're not even a little bit wrong. And how do we as a community combat that stereotypical image of gun owners other than doing things like this where we sit down and talk to each other and don't shoot tigers or do meth. I mean, like, but on the on the one hand, he's like a, like a super bad example. But on on the other hand, I think to myself, I don't really want to live in a world that has been sanitized to the degree that someone like Joe Exotic can't actually function or flourish or exist. Like, well, yeah, sure. Like, I, I I feel like his existence is. Like for all, for whatever negativity is attached to that, I feel like his existence is like, yeah, I want to live in a world where a madman can have a private army of tigers. Like yeah. that's that kind of lets me know that like things are still a little wild. There's still like there's possibility beyond what you beyond the boundaries of what you imagine. A hundred years from now, we're gonna say Joe Exotic was a canary in the coal mine. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Well, okay. Now he was the first domino. <laughs> We're going to sidetrack a little bit. So if you're listening to this to hear intellectual conversation around guns and politics, just like pause and I'll tell you when to turn it back on again. It's no coincidence that they came out with the 5G and the next thing you know, Joe Exotic is in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But how crazy was the dude with like the mystical Indian shaman title who had eight wives? Yeah. That was, I was like, and that was the second episode and it got crazier from there. But also, like, I don't want to live in a world where he can't exist. No, not at all. Like, I, I don't. I don't, by the I don't time... want there to be no like. There's how constrained and suffocating would this world be if that if that insane fringe didn't sparkle a little bit? I'm just I'm amazed that by the time you got to the part where there was a man in a tiger costume on a leash, that was not the craziest thing about this show. It's just so again, and if you guys haven't seen Tiger King, if you're listening to this, I understand. Uh, don't be one of those people who's like, oh, I'm too cool for pop culture phenomenons, because <laughs> you know what? We're all locked in our houses right now anyways. So have some. You fun. ain't too cool for shit. Yeah, right, exactly. But... You really you really are not. Uh, and if you're listening to this but... and in the future, just so you guys know, it is uh, April 20th of 2020 and we're still in the throes of the corona crisis. So that's why we're talking about a man who had 60 pet tigers and tattoos of bullet holes on his body so yeah well i think though to bring this back to a more relevant area um this kind of goes back to the whole information bubble thing Mm -hmm. so if you don't have any conservative friends like joe exotic is your model for for what gun owners look like Mm -hmm. and as ridiculous as that is to all of us then it seems pretty logical if that's really all you see and the same thing happens in reverse too. Like if you know, if you don't have any liberal friends, you're seeing uh, what what was the one that meme that was going around with the chick going like this? Like you're seeing that. And that is, yes, yes, that's the one I was thinking of. That is what a liberal is to you. 
and think about how that flips around. And, you know, as as much as Joe Exotic applies to me is about how much Trigglypuff applies to, you know, to me. So it's like, it's an interesting, here's the, here's the other problem with the bubble. And it's that you can't independently verify anything. So if mm-hmm. I'm in a bubble, if, if I, if I occupy position A and I'm in a bubble and someone else occupies position B and they're in the position B bubble, I only receive information about position B through either A, the worst examples of position B because they're the loudest, most shrill voices which penetrate the bubbles and echo across to me, or that there's a position A media source which thrives on the existence of the bubble. So they deliver to me information. They're they're the gatekeepers to position B. Mm -hmm. So I only know what I know about position B through A, the worst examples of position B, or B, the institutional gatekeepers of uh, info, you know, or the informational gatekeepers in my own bubble. So well, and you can even it's, see it's, that it's it's like a it's like a solipsism. You need to go see for yourself what this is about, and be engaged with the people on the other side. And you can even see that you know to a a current reference which has very little to do with guns. A little bit is you can almost see that in the way that different extremely polarized groups are reacting to the current health crisis, where you know you have people like me who are, I I would like to think I'm a reasonable person about this, where I am concerned about the health crisis uh, impl- impl- implications. I'm concerned about the economic crisis that's coming from this. And I'm also concerned about uh, petty tyrants in government using this as a way to get their petty tyranny on. And all of those Venn diagrams overlap. And right there in the middle, you've got me. And right an unsurprising number of people that I like to associate with. But when you go out onto these fringes, I, I know people who genuinely believe that the healthcare crisis is overblown by the media to discredit the president or whatever. And then I also have people on the other side of things who believe that this is the goddamn end of the world and we're never going to get to go play outside again until 2022 and we're going to get masks sewn to our face or something. Um, and then obviously that burn aren't real but is the vaccines know. they're coming to give you the mark of the beast caleb <laughs> i just i can't believe so. but and that's but you see that and you see that with the bubble because people are not seeking information that's and it's and actually i don't want to be too hard on people because one of the dangers and you guys talk about this i believe in your podcast one of the things that concerns me is social media and the way that all of these companies are constructed is to deliver you information that reinforces your previously held beliefs or inflames you out of anger about something that you vehemently disagree with because those are the things that get you to click well also so, so, so this this is a a couple topics. One is the difference between like outrage and or the 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 intersection of outrage and bias porn. The mm-hmm. other thing is, um, I was thinking about this actually earlier today, and we think that uh, people project their uh, biases onto current events, or yes. people people politicize a current event that that current event exists independently of the politics. But the thing is, given the way that we recognize patterns and the way we structure our cognition around the patterns that we recognize, we can't comprehend or digest or understand the events in front of us absent the political framework, right? So if if you're sufficiently polarized and if the dominant pattern through which you – uh, interact with the world as one of politics, things have to be political in order for you to consume and digest them. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that makes sense. Because otherwise there's nowhere in the, in the filing cabinet of your mind to slot this information. It has to have a relevance to the patterns of, 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 of politics in order for it to uh, have anywhere to go. There's just no, nowhere to put it. 
if it's not political. So it becomes politicized in order to understand it. It's only digestible through through that framework. Which is why, so to use something that's more relevant to what you and I deal with in our industries and Sarah deals with in the activism side, that's why when you you know have an issue like school shootings, which is obviously a hot button issue, there was just a mass shooting yesterday in uh, Nova Scotia, but the issue of school and mass shootings, if you polled 100 out of 100 people, all of us would be in favor of not of people not getting murdered. Like, no, mm-hmm. like, you know, unless you find the one actual sociopath, but like 100 out of 100 people are all going to say, no, of course, I don't want people to get murdered. But when you're so if I'm understanding what you're saying, when you are sufficiently radicalized uh, politically, you filter that I don't want people to get murdered and you filter information about mass shootings. You take all that and that goes through the filter of your ideology first before you can actually arrive at any sort of policy based conclusion. I think it's I think it's deeper than that. So it, it's not like a lens. I don't, I'm not thinking about it in, in in terms of it being a lens that you can like clean up or, or 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 regularize in such a way that you can then see the world clearly. You don't just like go over to someone else's lens and polish the scratches out of it and they're good to go. The lens is going to be roughly the same. It's the information sorting system behind the lens. It's like if if there's a strong enough pattern, then everything fits the pattern. Or it doesn't register. Things only register insofar as they fit the pattern that that moves you through the world. So the way you're describing people's political recognition patterns is very similar to the way that um, uh, smart research guy types have described religious input patterns, where you have people who are, uh, I don't want to use the word radicalized when talking about religion, because that's got some negative connotations to it. But when you have people who are sufficiently, who are extremely devout about their religion, instead of it being a lens, it's the filter for all of their patterns. It's how they interpret the world. Right. Things only exist. So it's like we talk about how um, facts them facts themselves are not convincing mm-hmm. right just the just just the, the the matter that a fact exists that doesn't matter the the fact needs to be relevant to someone and people so we got to backtrack a little bit you want me to take this part uh i want to i want to preface it with one thing first gotcha. and, then, and then you take over um People love to recognize patterns. We're pattern recognizing machines. The primary brain chemical, which contributes to the you know uh, myelination process in, in in pattern recognition, is dopamine. Hell yeah! So uh, when you learn something new that's relevant to you, or when you discover something that fits an existing pattern. The construction of the pattern and the recognition of things that fit into the pattern generate dopamine in your brain. So something is only a fact and it only comes on board if it generates dopamine to know it. That makes sense. And that explains a lot of the time when, you know, people will get confronted with uncomfortable facts and, you know, things that are true and they will be like, I reject your reality and substitute my own. That's exactly what I was going to jump in with. So one of the things we talk about fairly early on in the podcast is the concept of defensive bias, which is exactly what you just said. It's like, this fact makes me uncomfortable. I cannot deal with that. Therefore, I will uh, perform a number of cognitive tricks uh, to make it not relevant. Now, this is something that is a universal human condition. This this is not uh, more prevalent on one side of the aisle or the other. Nobody's immune to this. It's Mm. everybody. Uh, it's just more obvious when you're looking at somebody else. And of course, when it's you, you have good reasons for it, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, of course. But uh, but anyway, so defensive bias. One of the things we get into early on is a number of strategies to reduce it. So until you have uh, built enough rapport and you've uh, kind of paved the way to reduce somebody's defensive bias, any facts that you try to tell them are not going to be relevant to them whatsoever. So they're, they'll either rationalize them, they'll forget them, they'll just basically make those facts not exist. And they will rewrite all of reality to avoid any uncomfortable facts. 
So as a communicator, that actually gives you a great opportunity to jump in there and say, look, here's some strategies that I'm going to use in these conversations uh, to reduce this defensive bias and to have a better conversation and to be able to start to share some of the relevant information so that you can kind of come to a more, uh, more mutually agreeable reality. So it's basically the opposite of the polarization chambers. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting, like, when you say everybody is uh, susceptible to defensive bias, it's such a common thing that, like, it, defensive bias uh, even comes up in the Bible. Uh, they talk about, you know, uh, Jesus has a parable about how you have to remove the log from your own eye before you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. And it's such a common thing because I know that there have been times where someone has presented me with a fact I didn't like. And my immediate reaction to was like all the hair on the back of my neck stands up and I'm like, no, here's why you're dumb. <laughs> and it's not, and obviously that's not helpful. It doesn't move an argument along and it certainly kind of can grind a conversation to a halt. So would you say that, uh, arguing with someone, or let me rephrase that, trying to convince someone by throwing a stack of facts at them and then just standing back and being like, but here are the facts, isn't an effective method? Uh, um, shockingly, that <laughs> is not going to work. Uh, what it actually does is call, uh, cause something that's called the backfire effect. So just simply throwing facts at somebody will actually make them believe the wrong thing harder than they originally did. So it actually is worse than useless. It is actively harmful. So throwing facts at somebody is the most counterproductive thing you can do. They, they actually, they, will, they aren't even facts to that person until they want the information. They have to want the information first for those even to be facts. And the, uh, the backfire effect thing is one of those things where uh, the act of rewriting the narrative to rationalize it in your own head makes you believe the original thing stronger. So that's why it's it's so harmful in the context of these arguments. So if you guys had to give me uh, or give our my listeners uh, three, I mean, just like three things that anybody can do other than actually go be friends with a liberal person. That Okay, so like that's number one, guys. Like go be friends. And I, I'm actually going to harp on this for just a second. Uh, and I'm going to use a personal example, uh, specifically you, Sarah. So I uh, basically decided that we were going to be friends because somebody on the internet said you were cool. So I hunted you down. And this is starting to sound creepy, but it wasn't, I promise. Um, but through the course of our friendship, I've disagreed with you a whole lot of times on a lot of different issues. And yet we're still friends because I have a ton of respect for you. I have a ton of respect for John, obviously as well. And he and I disagree on stuff. My wife and I disagree on stuff and we're obviously still successfully married. But for the people out there, if you don't have any liberal friends, I'm not saying that you need to go out and make friends with some girl with blue hair and horned rim glasses who has a Tumblr blog about intersectional feminism, all right? That's not what I'm talking about, but I feel like that's what people hear when I say go be friends with a liberal. But like, find somebody who's not into guns and be friends with them because you probably have something else that you like to talk about. And once you have an actual relationship with that person, now you can get into ways to actually talk to them about stuff. But pause, please, people don't go out there and make friends with a liberal just because you want to convert them to the gun owning side. Okay, just go be friends. If I had one piece of advice for anybody who wants to make more people interested in guns, it's just go be friendly with people. I mean, that would kind of be it is like, Go be nice to people and see what happens, which I understand hearing that from me may sound a little odd to some people who know my reputation, but there's a reason that I do some of those things and there's a reason I do the things that I do. But if you guys had to give like just three, like just one liners, like thing, easy things people can do, what would the first one be? Well, first I want to make the case, but piggyback on, 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 on what you just said is that it is actually your patriotic duty to go out and be friends with people who disagree with you Hell because because yeah. if you don't have practice maintaining friendships with people who disagree with you politically then the country itself has no future because point. the only way that representative 
uh, government works is if you can maintain positive, respectful relationships with people you disagree with. If we don't have that, then all we have is conflict. Yeah. No, so that do it sense. for America. Hell yeah, do it. God, I'm like, there's like a bald eagle flying behind me right now. I feel so right, patriotic. Yeah. Oh, but <laughs> no, that's teens are flying next to your apartment building. Oh, I, well, uh, actually, that happened. There's a. I'm writing the flight pad pattern for Miami International, and it's weird to me that there's the amount of aircraft that are still flying in to the airport right now. But I, I do genuinely agree with that, and I think they got to burn up the fuel. <laughs> Actually, yeah, they got all that government money, so they got to fly something. Um, but I Never do matters. agree that it's it's the chem, it's the chemtrails, Kayla. Goddamn chemtrails! They're spreading no, the coronavirus. But, sure no, the chemtrails are why. Waiting for that. The chemtrails are why I'm immune to coronavirus. Yeah, see, it worked. It worked. It yes. doesn't work unless you get it in combination with the vaccine. It's like a catalyst that uh, that five G acts acts on in order to uh, turn all your frogs gay. <laughs> That's Natural. a pretty spot on, pretty spot on Alex Jones. Uh, oh, he's so good. Uh, uh, impression there, but uh, okay. I, I, no, ahead, Sarah. oh no, 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 I was, I was actually going to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I was, so, I was just going to do forty-five minutes of Alex Jones impersonation. <laughs> I bet you, so, I, I bet people would listen to that. Three one-liners that people can do today. Uh, number one is just recognize that the people on the other side of this issue are not like you. And they don't need to be like you in order to be on board with a, with our cause. That was a long one-liner, but I'll allow it. <laughs> so uh, to condense that so, a little bit, the people on the other side of this aren't like you, and they don't need to be. Yes, it is not required. You do not have to make them conservative. Oh, thank you God. You don't have to try to change their entire value structure. That is completely unnecessary. You can make a lot of progress for the Second Amendment without doing any of that. Uh, the second one is just ask questions. And the third one is when you're asking questions, look for the good in their answer. So look for what's right and focus on that. Don't get hung up on trying to prove them wrong on every little thing because that's not convincing. Um, but just look, you know, it's kind of like um, there's kind of like ways to lead a horse, right? You can lead a horse by like pulling on the rope or you can lead a horse by, you know, chasing it in the direction you want to go. And you would make this about horses. Of course, because, you know, it's, that's how I roll. But, uh, but, but think of the conversation in a different way. Like, you're not trying to push them in a direction you want to go. You're just going to see what they offer you. And you're going to follow up on that in ways that end up in the direction you want to go. Well, and that makes really good sense, especially the one about asking questions. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we get taught in the principles of instruction school that I went to for uh, the Air Force is that if you have a student who is asking you a question, it's not because they don't necessarily, it's not because they're dumb or anything like that, although maybe sometimes, but it's because they're trying to get a better grasp on the material, you know, and what it does is, uh, is it shows that they are actually interacting with you. So if you've got someone who's asking you questions, a part of your brain goes cuckoo and is like, this person is at least engaging it with me in something that resembles good faith, you know? Yes. And because very rarely, if you're talking to a real person face to face, are they going to be like, ha ha rhetorical question. I have scored another <laughs> internet argument point. Exactly. Um, but no, and I, I really like that one, especially if you're, you know, uh, with that in mind, like, guys, uh, please don't ask stupid questions like, why do you hate freedom? Because <laughs> that's not, that's, I don't think that's what you're talking about, Sarah, not to put words in your mouth. No, not so much. But it does remind me of one more. I'm going to add one more. Okay, one I'll more point. Three this will be four. Yes, 3A. Treat this like a skill. So this is a skill that you can learn and improve just like you improve your shooting skills. You might not start out being good at talking to liberals, but it's, things that you can learn and there's practical things there's like literally exercises and homework you can do to get better at this so don't just say oh i'm not good at it oh there's nothing i can do i'm just gonna stomp around making everything worse like cut that out actually try just give it a shot like you know see what you can do and uh another fun thing about being friends with liberals is they have all the good food so, you know, when you do that, then you get to, like, go to more fun places to eat. 
Um, so that's that's worth bearing in mind. Guys, I really appreciate you talking about like political stuff and stuff like that with me. Uh, I did want to ask John a couple questions about Filster. So sure. because all of uh, you know everybody loves gear, and if we don't oh, talk about gear, gear nerds. Oh, and if we don't talk about gear for a few minutes, people will get very very upset. Um, <clears throat> you obviously got a couple of great products that are. That, that are out there. The floodlight holster, I recommend to anybody who has an X300 or a TLR1. Uh, and then the one that I'm, that I really think is cool are your, uh, and I forgot the name of them. So I'm going to call them your little switchy boys. So oh, tell the, us, the, uh, the arc switches. Yes. Tell us about your switchy boys. Okay. So the X300 and the TLR1 are, the switching on them isn't amazing. They're made to roughly fit most lights in most hands, but they could be better. So what's better than being able to access those switches easier uh, with your offhand, with, a, with an injured hand, or uh, to set them up to meet your individual ergonomics? And fortunately for us, both of them come apart fairly easily. So you can replace the plastic tabs on your X300 and the little plastic um, butterfly switch on the TLR1 with the Filster enhanced weapon light switches, which allow you to, you know, generate larger, more heavily textured, uh, asymmetrical switches that improve your reach to the switch of your weapon light on any gun. So a lot of you Beretta users know that the light might be further away than it is on your Glock, and it might be a little bit more of a stretch to actuate the light without breaking your grip. And extending the switches can help you do that, uh, especially on guns where there's not a, a dedicated grip switch or for people who don't like grip switches. I know that there are a lot of people who don't love the grip switch because if you're shooting one handed and you don't want it on, you kind of have to muscle the gun. Uh, you have to do a lot of um, single handed uh, aggressive gripping to control the gun when you're shooting one handed, but you might not want the light on. Uh, so, like, I remember we had some interactions with guys who run shields on SWAT teams and they don't want that light on constantly. So they don't like the grip switch. Mm -hmm. I am not, uh, I am also in the, not a grip switch fan. And mm -hmm, it's one of those things where, because if I'm, I, uh, the big thing is the strong hand, weak hand sort of manipulations. I gave up grip switches. It's, the uh, it's a reason why there's some other uh, stuff in there, but so the arc switches are really cool. The other filter product that I would like you to talk about a little bit is this. And if you're ah. if you're listening to the audio feed, I'm holding up a it's a little Velcro sleeve full of things that will keep all of the wet bits inside of you if you get a hole punched in you somewhere. Okay, so uh, you should be carrying a tourniquet, and that's good. In addition to that, there's a bunch of other bleeding control items that you can have on hand. You can have uh, uh, a compression dressing, more gauze, hemostatic gauze, pair of gloves, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the little med kits are just vacuum sealed packages that you throw in your pocket. And the problem with vacuum sealing them is that it increases the number of steps that it takes to get to the essential equipment. Two, when you vacuum seal something, it turns it into like a uh, non-pliable, hard, pointy brick mm -hmm. that is uncomfortable to carry around. So if Grab that pocket emergency wallet because you have it handy. Um, first of all, you can, uh, over time, the more you squeeze it and the more you repack it, uh, it will get flatter. Two, you can put whatever you want in it. Three, unlike a vacuum-sealed pouch, you can replace the items that you use as you use them, so you don't need to buy a whole new kit. Uh, you can also access everything in it one-handed by just pushing it through the sleeve. You can access it either way. You can customize it with whatever you want, as long as it's miniaturized, but you can get it from us with uh, mini compression dressing, flat packed uh, gauze, and a hemostatic of your choice. We've got combat gauze, Cellox, Rapids, and uh, Wound Clot, which is a really cool advanced hemostatic. And that's a roughly smaller than the George Costanza wallet. And mm -hmm. you can put it in your uh, back pocket, cargo pocket, jacket nice pockets. Uh, I keep them in my bags, I keep them in my jacket pockets. 
Well, and so, and if you guys are listening or watching this, uh, this is not like a paid segment. I, despite knowing John, I actually bought these with my own money because I genuinely believe the other thing I'm a big believer in is supporting my friends who are in this industry. Um, and one of the reasons I bought these is I was looking at the sort of wound profiles that I'm likely to encounter when I'm out walking the dog when I'm driving the car around and what the kind of and what looking at like common injuries and stuff like that that happen in my area has told me is that I I keep a tourniquet in the car because I'm way more likely to encounter um, traumatic bleeding to an appendage in a car crash or something like that than I am just walking the dog but I'm definitely way more likely to encounter some kind of strange severe puncture while I'm out walking the dog than I am you know, just uh, like somebody getting a limb chopped off. And the yeah. other thing I've done with my pocket emergency wallet is I've jammed some Band-Aids in there, just yep. regular old-fashioned Band-Aids and some uh, antiseptic wipes so that if I'm out – and I used walking the dog as an example because I walk the dog four miles a day and there's people in the world. And I want to be able to, you know, if somebody gets a boo-boo, if I get a boo-boo, I want to be able to deal with that. But also having the ability to take something that I put in a pocket that I can also deal with a traumatic gunshot wound with is pretty dope. And that is, in my opinion, you know, uh, Filster's got a great range of products, but I think the the Arc is one of those things that's a no-brainer if you have an X300 or a TLR1 and the pocket emergency wallet is an absolute no-brainer because bleeding to death is not something anybody wants to do. No. And, uh, and traumatic bleeding is the one thing that you can. So of the things that can kill you before the ambulance shows up, um, traumatic bleeding is one of the things that there's a lot you can do to prevent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and belts make shitty tourniquets, guys. So just oh, want to remind everybody of that. Now, yeah, and, uh, and belts and tampons are not for, for hemorrhage not, control. Not, not for medical use. Freaking tampons. Well, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you get the, into the whole people say, well, if it's all you have, it's better than nothing. And I'm like, eh, no, is it though? No, not really. <laughs> not really. No, you're actually better off if, Hey, listen, listen up guys. If you, so if you need to plug a wound, a tampon is not going to do it. You're better off ripping up a t-shirt and jamming that thing into there. than you are trying to plug it with a tampon. That's not as good as using, Oh, I don't know. A bandage. But, you know, people are crazy. Uh, now, Sarah, I did want to ask you uh, as well, not about gear stuff, but about political stuff. So what is the political landscape in Minnesota like right now? Um, and has the Rona affected any upcoming legislation or nonsense like that? Well, it's interesting right now due to social distancing distancing protocols and the problem we're having in the Minnesota House and Senate is that everything is a lot less transparent. So, uh, for example, there was a, a non-gun related bill that I was following pretty closely. And that final language of that bill um, wasn't presented until like hours before the vote. So it's like stuff like that. You, you just have to really watch everything a lot more closely now than you than you used to. Uh, it's affecting things like committee schedules and like deadlines for stuff. And uh, so it's kind of a good time to educate yourself on the political process and start to pay more attention because things are happening a lot faster. Uh, and I'd also say, guys, it's a great time to write your reps, you know, since we're oh, yeah. all you've and got like, the time for it. You, right. you absolutely do. And that's a really good thing is like one of my political pet peeves. Uh, and I dealt with this a lot back when I was really politically involved is people will only write their representatives when something bad is happening. Nobody ever writes their representatives to say, hey, thank you for voting yes on this piece of legislation. That's something that's very important to me and I value your vote and I value your representation. So like, it's okay to say nice things to politicians. I know that yes. we all hate politicians, but uh, it's okay to say nice things to them. And now's a great time to write their reps. If you've got a rep that you think is doing a great job in these times of the coronavirus, uh, you know, standing up for your rights, standing up for whatever you believe in, write them an email. Say, hey, thanks, man, or woman. But that's not an appropriate form of address. Hey, thank you, representative. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you, you know, doing whatever it is that you're doing. Um, we were, uh, I was going to try to get into a little bit of the emergency orders and the political ramifications of that, but I don't want to anymore. 
And I really wanted to thank you guys for coming and talking to me. Is there anything you guys would like to hit on before we wrap up today? We got to talk about the birds. They're not real. <laughs> They're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> the uh, avian monitoring system makes sure that all the uh, amphibians are sufficiently uh, uh, transgendered. <laughs> oh, oh, and I was about to be serious. <laughs> hey, Sarah, you can be serious. I will be serious. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say is you're 100% right. Now is a really good time to start relationship building with politicians. And the reason you do that isn't it isn't because you love politics and you love politicians. It's because relationships buy you influence. So if you don't have a, a bunch of money to lobby and buy influence that way, do it with social skills and do it with influence. And uh, the last episode of our podcast is actually about how to build relationships with a politician and how to increase your amount of influence as an individual. Awesome. And one piece uh, on that, too. Talk to your local politicians, guys. Like if you've got yes. council members, I like we it's very easy for us, especially as activists, to get focused on what's happening at the national level. But I guarantee you a policy passed by your city county council or mm -hmm. your county board of electrician guys or your even your state representatives will have more immediate impact on your day to day life than anything that the federal government pushes down. Uh, so hundred you know, percent. Yep. Get, get yeah. to know those guys because they can and women they can change your fucking life and they can do it and you may not even know it happened until the day after mm -hmm. the bill passes. And there's yeah, someone whose the... mind you can actually change occasionally. Mm -hmm. And that's a great thing about building influence is once you have those relationships established, they'll start calling you and saying, "Hey, did you see this bill coming down the pipe? Did you notice this one?" Um, so you really uh, you get kind of a head start on everything that way. So my my general rule is. I feel that every politician from state representative level and down should know you by name and sight. That's awesome. All right, Sarah, so where can people go and find your podcast on the great world of the internets? We are on all the major podcast platforms. If you just search for Guns Guide to Liberals, and we also maintain a pretty active Facebook page uh, at facebook.com slash Guns Guide to Liberals. Awesome. And John, where can people go buy pocket emergency wallets, awesome holsters, and little switchy boys? Uh, you can go to filsterholsters.com. That's P-H-L-S-T-E-R, holsters with an S, dot com. And we're on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else you'd like to look at gear. Awesome. And guys, if you want to follow me, this will be live on YouTube and it will be uploaded on Facebook at facebook.com slash Caleb shooting. And obviously go follow my Instagram at Radicaleb with an underscore at the end. If you like pictures of alcohol, dogs and guns, I'm Caleb Giddings, John, Sarah, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having us.